Right. Is that the famous Aaron? Ethan? This is, yes. 13. Well, 21. This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alexander. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to Fans on the Run. It's been a while. It's Ethan here. Um, after today, you will understand why it's been a while. Uh, the interview you will hear uh, has taken a couple months to make happen. Uh, but uh, thanks to my special guest co-host today, Piers Hemmingson, author of The Beatles in Canada, an all-around great guy. Um, yeah, this this is a real special one today, and we figured two heads are better than one. So I'm going to turn things over to him to explain what we're going to do. Okay, well, very excited about uh, this conversation with Hunter Davies. Uh, Of course, he was the only person who will ever have written an authorized biography of the Beatles. Uh, I believe it was Paul McCartney who recommended him to Brian Epstein. Uh, his book was first published in 1968, around about October. So just around the time, you know, that the White Album was was almost getting ready to be released. Um, the other two books that I really enjoyed, obviously, the other than the Beatles book that he did in 68, were the John Lennon Letters in 2012 and the Beatles Lyrics in 2014. Uh, I'm holding them here. You can see them. You know, everybody in, in podcast land can see the books. Maybe not. Might be difficult. Um, but uh, the good news was that I was introduced to Hunter a few years ago by Mark Lewison. That was wonderful. Um, I interviewed Hunter at his home in London, uh, where he answered questions pertaining to Canada, because he did have uh, family in Canada in the 60s. Um, this was important input for the second volume of the Beatles in Canada book, The Evolution, 1964 to 1970. But at that meeting, the first meeting, Hunter showed me his impressive collection of Beatles items, one of which was uh, was Paul McCartney's uh, swimming costume. They, you, we call it a bathing suit in Canada. They call it a swimming costume in the UK. Uh, and as a thank you, I gave Hunter an original uh, OPP badge from the 1960s, uh, the one that you see on the inside of the cover of Sgt. Pepper. Um, now, at the time of this interview, Hunter will be, is 87 years young. So I think that's, that's impressive on its own. But more than that, uh, Hunter's story is part of the Beatles story because of the time that he uh, spent with them in the studio, at their homes, with their families, and getting all these uh, stories into his into his wonderful book, The Beatles. And it was, you know, really incredible that, uh, you know, even through Brian Epstein's passing, uh, that, you know, his deal held held strong and he got his book published. He obviously had support from The Beatles. Nobody else will ever have that. And that's a unique gift for Hunter. Um, 
let me just switch over to Ethan. Ethan is is an incredible guy, and uh, it's been my pleasure to know Ethan for a few years now. And we uh, we're embarking on this podcast thing with with a third party. It was the first time I've ever done such a thing, and I'm quite excited about it. So thank you to Ethan for all of his fans on the run, and to uh, all I hope you enjoy what you're about to hear. That's right. Joining us today is a man who, you know, among us Beatle people, needs very little introduction, but I'm going to give him a bit of one. Besides the Beatles, he's he's a best-selling author in his own right, but as we know, he wrote the first and so far only authorized biography of the Beatles back in 1968. He was honored by the Queen in 2014 with an OBE. So without any further ado, here is our chat with Hunter Davies. I'm going to dive into uh, question number one, and it says, uh, circa late August 67, when you heard the sudden and shocking news of Brian Epstein's passing, were you worried at all about your book deal? And if so, were you reassured that things would be okay? I was worried first about Brian's mother and yes. Brian's brother, his family being distraught. I was worried about the Beatles losing our manager, but by then the connection was pretty thin. It took me a while to, to realize that my contract was with Brian and his company called NEMS, and that was inherited by Queenie, his mother. And the name Queenie is rather apposite because Brian was gay. And I wanted to have something about him being gay in the book because I have a theory that one of the attract and he preferred butch boys, not effeminate boys. So when the general Beatles fan knew he was gay, they thought he must fancy Paul because Paul looked girlish. And he didn't. He fancied John, who was macho. And I, my theory is that one of the reasons he first went to the cavern was to see John gyrating on stage. Oh. Anyway, under the deal of my book, Brian had to read it and the Beatles. So I had to submit it to Queenie. <laughs> and, of course, she only wanted to read about Brian. She had no interest in the rest of it. And I didn't put in that he was gay. But I have the memorable phrase that Brian was a gay bachelor. Uh-huh. Got, that's the 1968 edition. Yeah. And the general public at the time didn't know what the, the double meaning of the word gay. Gay bachelor means merry, happy. So I got that in and didn't upset her. And she was fine. Excellent. <laughs> Did Clive Epstein have any objections? No, I met him, and I think he probably read the book as well. Funnily enough, when uh, Brian died, Clive eventually sold memorabilia from Brian. And one of the things he was selling was my visiting card in 1966 when I first met Brian. And I give my visiting part because it was so posh. It was Hunter Davis, 
chief feature writer, Stanley Times, and I wrote my home telephone number on it. And it ended up as a very famous company called Trax, T-R-A-C. You know them. The auction yeah, and the company. Man who owns it is my friend. And he rang me up and said, you can't believe what I've got here. It's come through glass. I said, I'm not buying that. It's rubbish. <laughs> Has anyone tried to call the number? Uh, they couldn't get the code. The code has changed, but they could do. But I like the fact he kept it personally. He seems so, so smooth and sophisticated above such trivial things. Very nice. And thank you, Hunter. We're going to go on to the second question. Uh, was there any connection between the title of your book, The Beatles, and the title of the double album, The Beatles, that came hot on the heels of your book's publication in late 68? Just no, a coincidence. No connection whatsoever. It's such an obvious title for an album and such an obvious title for a book. Uh huh. Okay. Quick one. Uh, in 1968 or 69, were you ever asked to do a book tour or signing here in North America? I did. I did a huge one. Oh. Whenever the, whenever the book came out in 1968. Yeah. I was in I was in Portugal having a year there. And I flew from Lisbon to New York. And I spent, I can't remember, but the publisher, McGraw-Hill, they must have the archive stuff. McGraw Hill and you have you heard of McGraw Hill? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. Very big publishing house. And I did a tour. And from memory, I did a, sh a show in New York, amongst other places, a live television show. I did one in Chicago and I did one in San Francisco. And I flew between each place and I was picked up by a chauffeur-driven car. All I can remember is a man called Mike Douglas. Do you remember Mike Douglas? Yes. TV he was, show. Is what? He was a TV talk show host. That's right. He's probably yeah. long dead. Uh, so I did quite a few of those places, plus interviews. And I had an itinerary somewhere, but I've sent, I've just sent the last of my memorabilia to the British Library. I've cleared everything out. Uh -huh. because it's, it's, I'll give them all my notebooks. You know, I have 25 notebooks, which I've written. I can't understand the word of it, but the British Library wanted to have them. Uh -huh. And I gave them the American cuttings as well. And I gave them all the letters from McGraw Hill. But I did Beautiful. do a tour. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, Hunter, I'm going to turn the questions over to, to Ethan now. Okay. Well, that should actually uh, segue quite smoothly into what I want to ask you next is you've done a lot for the, the preservation of, of Beatle history. What made uh -huh. you... Uh, think to keep things like the handwritten song lyrics they were valueless at the time there was no value in Beatles stuff till uh, 1981 when Sotheby's started their auctions but I'm a squirrel and every book I've ever done I've kept all the I did a book about Hadrian's Wall and I kept all the fort tickets I did a book about a football team and I kept all the team sheets I keep all memorabilia Partly because I'm a scorer, but also I might need it as reference. So I kept all this stuff, and I had it shoved away. And I had about nine original lyrics by the Beatles framed on my wall. And when my children became teenagers, I thought some drunken kid at a party 
won't value them, but he might be sick all over them. And that's when I gave them, first of all, the British Museum and then the British Library. Well, now you have quite an archive at the British Library. Oh, I do. have you been there? Uh, I, will, I will be there next month. Oh, lucky you. Right, you go to the manuscript room and beside Magna Carta and Shakespeare and Wordsworth and Shelley and all that lot, there's a display of Beatles stuff. They don't always have everything there that I've given them. When the Queen opened the British Library in 1990, I was invited to the official opening, but I couldn't make it because I was in the Lake District, where I lived for half the year. But I was told that she loved the copy of yesterday. I've got an OBE. Do you know what an OBE is? Order of the British Empire. I want a little bit of respect. When I got my honour from the Queen four or five years ago at Buckingham Palace, first of all, you know it's going to be Buckingham Palace, but you don't know which member of the royal family is going to do it. And you la- I lay awake at night thinking, pray God it's not Prince Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I don't want Princess Anne, but it was the Queen. And when my turn came, there's about 100 people there getting honours, different sorts of honours, and there's 300 guests sitting, watching. And you file in, and some flunky says, when you meet Her Majesty, call her Your Majesty, and then say, call her Ma'am. And somebody whispered in her ear, when it was my turn, this is Hunter Davis, a writer. She had no idea who I was. And she said, oh, you're a writer. I said, yes. Do you remember? I never called her mama, I forgot. Do you remember when you opened the British Library? Yes, I did. And do you remember you spent two seconds looking at Magna Carta? <clears throat> because you don't speak medieval or Latin, no more than I do. Yes, I did. But you stood for a long time looking at yesterday, the words in Paul's handwriting. Yeah, Yes, I did. It was lovely. I said, that belongs to me. I gave it to the nation. And she laughed and she laughed. And that was it. After it was all over, the 300 guests rushed to ask me. She'd done 100 people, and, and she'd been expressionless throughout the whole of the events. No smiles, no laughter. She only laughed when talking to me. And they all rushed up and said, what did you say to make her laugh? I said, it takes too long to tell you another time. <laughs> nice. Now, your, your, fir- your first book about the Beatles came out in 1968. And your most recent one about the group came out in 2016. What keeps drawing you to the Beatles? Uh, Well, that's a non sequitur. There's a gap of 40, 50 years. It's a very interesting question. But for 40 years, I did 40 books, none of them on the Beatles. I've done 100 books, so I roughly do a book a year. And after the 1968 book, it did come out in different editions later on, but I never did another Beatles book till, when did you say? 2016, I did two. I did the Beatles lyrics and the John Lennon letters. I did those two. And they, I'm very pleased with those because they are, I'm sure you've read them, they're original research. That sort of material, tracking it down. You can't believe the trouble I had with Sony getting copyright permission for songs you can get anywhere. And you can't believe the trouble I had with Yoko getting permission from her to use. Anyway, I did it. 
one of the reasons for not writing about the Beatles for, is it 40 odd years, was the fact that I was so busy with new things. When you're an author, you only really want to talk about the next book, which you're working on, or it's in your head. And also, I suppose I didn't want Lumber as a one book wonder, only being the author of the Beatles book. And I turned down so many invitations to do follow-ups, and I've turned down for many years Beatles conferences. And be I've been to a few, and I could spend every week of my life, all year round, in Japan, America, Germany, Beatles conferences, and I've got other things to do. Also, unlike Mark Lersham, I know bugger all about the Beatles. He's the real expert. I've forgotten everything. Don't ask me any dates. <laughs> Shall we quote you on that, Hunter? Yeah, certainly. Okay. <laughs> I only know what I know. Okay. I have a very good question, though. I did a talk a couple of weeks ago, and I gave a prize, which is a brilliant prize. Name me 10 songs by the Beatles in which a woman's name appears in the title. You can send it to me in half an hour, and you'll get a prize. Right, carry on. Okay. Don't tell me now. We haven't got time. Okay. Good question, isn't it? Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll think about it. Think about it. Um, in, in all the time you spent with the Beatles writing the book, talking to them in the, the mid to late 60s, uh, yeah. what did you make of the people in their, their inner circle, like uh, Brian, Derek Taylor, Milas Banal? They were lovely. None of them, uh, you've read, we've all read so many stories about pop stars, young, who make a lot of money, who get ripped off by agents and record deals and PRs, and they end up, the accountant takes all their money. They were all very nice. I got on with all of them. Brian was a very lovely person who uh, uh, loved them dearly. They rather shoved him out of their lives when I came along, at the time I came along, no connection. And he was rather sad. He didn't commit suicide when he died, but he had had a suicide attempt. But he was a, an honest, lovely person. Derek Taylor was my favorite. Derek Taylor is so funny and witty and charming. And he wrote lots of books. I, I've never taken drugs. When I was doing the book, Ringo gave me a reefer one day. And I took it home in the room where I'm sitting now. <laughs> I said to my wife, Ringo's given me this funny cigarette. Ha, and we don't smoke. And that evening after work, we closed the curtains, put the phone off, and we smoked it, and nothing happened whatsoever. So I opened the curtains, put the phone, went back to work. Next time I saw Ringo, I said, I didn't think much of your reefer. He said it was cabbage leaves. Oh, boy. But Derek Taylor gave me, when I went to visit him once in Savile Row, he said, oh, it's my birthday. And this Sloney secretary came in. They had an oven there, and it was a a gingerbread cake. Would you like a slice of my birthday cake? Yeah, lovely. It was hot and steaming. And I had a second slice. And we went for lunch. And I started laughing and giggling. And it was hash cake. So those that, that's the only time in my life I ever had drugs. Wonderful. Lots of alcohol. <laughs> if, if you had kept that funny cigarette, you could have donated it to the British Museum. Of course, yeah. I've got, I've, 
I'm not sure how sure it appears. Everything has gone to the British Mail, but I've kept one thing which Paul left behind in Portugal. You know, they stayed with us in Portugal for two weeks. And I have it. It's been offered a lot of money by Paul. It tracks. It's Paul McCartney's swimming costume. Uh, uh, I did see <laughs> you that. Left behind. You did see it, yeah. Yeah. But everybody, all the academics from Stanford or wherever, Japan, I allow them now and again to see him. They've all gone now. And it was showing them Paul McCartney's, uh, they get a little camera out once they take a photo out of it. Peter's probably did. Anyway, carry on, Ethan. Okay. Um. The 1968 book has been uh, revised a few times over the years. Uh, were the Beatles, were any of the Beatles involved with any of those revisions? No. The first one, the first proper rewrite by Jonathan Cape, I can't remember. I never, I've, I've asked lots of times to update it. I said, no, you, I've got to leave the original word for word as it was. But in the 1998 edition, I reproduced the whole book word for word, but I did 20,000 extra words at the beginning and at the end. And in it, I explained how I got the, the job, I explained how I did it, and at the end, I say what happened afterwards. And I had a bit about Paul coming to see us in Portugal, and I let Paul read it before I put it in the, the book. But they weren't involved in it. Now, there's there's a lot of authors out there who write books about the Beatles and, uh, you know, sometimes misconceptions uh, spread. Uh, is there is there um, are there any misconceptions that you've heard about the Beatles or the individual Beatles that uh, you would like to correct? I actually buy all the Beatles books, but I don't read them. My interest in the Beatles is their music. And I'm not really interested in all the conspiracy theories. The The thing that upset me at the time and ever since is as a general, as a feeling, even amongst Beatles experts and musical experts and Beatles fans, is that Paul was the melodic, soppy, sweet one writing love songs. And John was the hard one doing rock and roll, as if they were, were writing totally different sort of music. And people did tend to put Paul down and say John was the original genius. John was the really creative one, and that is bollocks. Paul is by far the most gifted of all four, and he's the most melodic. Music flows for him. It flew from John, but John was lazy and he couldn't really finish things and he got stuck. Whereas Paul is very hard working. So I always get upset on Paul's behalf. It doesn't really happen anymore because everybody thinks that knows that George, Paul and John were amazingly creative geniuses. So I don't really, it doesn't worry me anymore. But it did for a while worry me. I think Philip Norman at one time had a go at Paul McCartney for being a soppy love story. Paul's written some soppy music. And so has John, some silly soppy music. The old days, it was a long career. Okay, Ethan, good question. Oh, 
Um, you you had mentioned that uh, you tried to avoid uh, being kind of pigeonholed with the Beatles, you know, with the big gap in between the first book and then the more recent ones. How do you feel about still being so strongly associated with the Beatles, despite everything else you've done? Well, I haven't done a Beatles book since those two. And I suppose I've written 100 books. And the definition of a classic is a book that's still in print, my definition, decades after it was published. So I've got four books. Most of my books are in charity shops that remain dead, in dustbins. But I've got four that's still in print and gets republished in England and elsewhere. One is the Beatles book. But my book about a football team is in, it just been reprinted in America. You can't believe it. It's called The Glory Game. And I got inside a top soccer club. I've got a biography of William Wordsworth. That's still in print around the world. And I've got a book about the Lake District. So those five books, I'm as pleased about them. But I suppose from... Actually, the funny thing is when I meet people in the street or at parties and they say, oh, I did like your book when they hear my name. And it's true that uh, the majority mean the Beatles book. But a huge proportion also mean my Hadrian's Wall book, and they don't know I've written about the Beatles. And they write about my football books, and they don't know I've done the Beatles. So it's, it's quite nice when I'm known for other things, but it doesn't bug me. I'm so thrilled in my lifetime that I did a book from getting inside the Beatles at Abbey Road, watching them perform, the greatest geniuses of my lifetime, and I was there. And also getting into Tottenham Hotspur dressing room. In each case, when they were having rows, and I was the fly on the wall in Abbey Road or Tottenham Hotspur dressing room, I thought if Brian suddenly turns to me, or John, or the manager turns to me, because they're, they're all shouting at each other and say, get out, you shouldn't be here. I, I did expect that to happen. And I thought, if it happens, I've still been here. Even yeah. though the book's never here, I've had the thrill and the unique pleasure of being here inside the lives, working lives of my heroes. Wow. I, I just wanted to jump in Hunter, the last time we met face to face, you you were talking about a book about the pond in in uh, Hampstead uh, Heath, and that you were interested in writing a little book about it. How did that go? The the one about the Hampstead Heath, it's called the Heath. Yes, and I've given all the money away to charity, to a preservation trust, and it's been reprinted, even though it's just about Hampstead. But so much happens in Hampton. And my daughter, Caitlin, who's a writer, she's had 12 books published. She has done a book about the history of the swimming pools. The Heath is this massive park in the middle of London. Ethan's probably never heard of it. Have you heard of Hampstead Heath? I have. It's 800 acres. And it has four swimming places. It has a Lido, 1930s Lido, has a men's pool, a ladies' pool, open air and a mixed pool. 
actually that famous pop star called oh god the long hair he's just been it's in the local paper he's just been swimming in the mixed pond tell me his name he was on a pop group and now everybody loves him he's rather androgynous and he's got long oh, hair harry styles that's him yeah he's been caught swimming in the in the, the mixed pond on the heath <laughs> <laughs> well um ethan is it okay if i go with the last question now I, I would yeah. be honored, Pierce. Okay, so Hunter. Actually, could I just say this first? Yes. Um, Hunter, I, I just want to say, you know, even though I, I love your Beatle books, uh, one of my favorite favorites of yours is Here We Go Around the Mulberry Bush. Oh, good. How lovely. But you're only 21. You can't remember that. Uh, it's that, that is still, did you ever see the film? Yes. I even have the soundtrack. Uh, the music is brilliant. The screenplay was rubbish, but the music was terrific. <laughs> Spencer Davis, Stevie Winward, and who was the other one? Traffic. Yeah. That was lovely. It still it still gets put on on late night television now and again. It, it's a it's a very yeah. enjoyable film. Good. good. <laughs> and an even more enjoyable book. Bye. Well, I'm just going to skip to, to the question number nine, number nine. And uh, I did, sorry to jump subjects. I did five novels and they've been vaguely uh, forgotten. But one of them called Body Charge. And it, it sets on Hampstead Heath about a football team and about a gay taxi driver who gets beaten up. Back in the 80s and 90s, there's lots of, gay bashing it's been long out of print but it's just been republished in california by a publishing house who specialized in out of print gay novels it wasn't a gay novel as such because i'm not gay nothing wrong with that but isn't it funny it's in print in and they paid me money tuppence two dollars even better i forgot the company it was such a strange thing to happen 50 years later Okay. Body charge. Look out for it. Are you ready for this last one, Hunter? Yeah. Yes. Good. In late 1969 or early 1970, when Paul issued his statement that he was leaving the Beatles, did you have any inkling that the Beatles would cease to be as a group? You were close to Paul at various times, and you mentioned your vacation time in Portugal. But but had you any inkling that this was about to happen or were you completely blindsided by it? I knew that they were going their own separate ways. And I knew from talking to John, he was bored by being a Beatle. He wanted to spend his life with Yoko. I knew that George was absolutely fed up being a Beatle, didn't want to talk about it. He wanted to talk about Indian spiritualism and mysticism and playing the sitar. They'd all moved on. Ringo hadn't really moved on, but he was doing films. And Paul was the only one who was trying to keep them together. Magical Mystery Tour was a, a device to try and keep them together. But by the time I came along, they'd stopped appearing in public. So the first stage in the disintegration had happened. They'd given up live appearances after Savile Row. But I did think they would carry on a bit longer recording meeting once a year but i also thought that 
as the, I never thought they were split up by arguing. I never, I thought lying awake at night, there'll be a terrible plane crash. Remember all those people that died? Was it yes. Buddy Holly? Yep. Died in plane. Yeah. It might be a terrible accident, which of course happened with John. I thought that they would be overtaken as the main creative writers of popular music. I thought it stands to reason that a new person or a new couple will come along who write as many classic tunes. Since then, we've had lots of pop stars who have sold more records. I think Michael Jackson sold more records of individual records than the Beatles did. I think the nearest person, in my estimation, who was as creative as the Beatles, writing original music and words, is Bob Marley. Mm. I think Bob Marley's brilliant. Obviously, the Rolling Stones are a special category, but that, but you don't get many other artists recording Rolling Stones songs. That's not a criticism. It's they are performance people. But mm. the Beatles have left us a hundred tunes which the human race will be singing and humming as long as we're on the planet. I never thought that would be so. I knew I'd always love them, but I thought I might be alone. Out, out of those tunes that they've left us, do you have a favorite? Uh, at my wife's funeral, I got them to play, and I love her. Uh, ha, 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 I can't say <laughs> I like them all. Obviously, there's the ones that meant a lot to me at the time, such as George uh, Brian Epstein playing Strawberry Fields to me on his on the acetate. That was amazing because I was worried that the publishing house would say, oh, we know everything about the Beatles. And when I heard Strawberry Fields, I knew it was a huge advance. Mm -hmm. I liked the songs that I heard being created, like Getting Better. I've written all that, you know all that. I like Across the Universe because I was there when John first thought of the the, uh, the theme. So I have favourites to which I'm connected. But I suppose that one, and I love her, is one of my favourites. Well, I, I just wanted... No, no bad Beatles songs. I'm not the only one I'm not so thrilled by is You've Got to Do It in the Road. Why don't we do it in the road? Yeah. I think that's just doggerel. <laughs> Well, I, I want to jump in, and, and uh, our time is kind of, you know, you've yeah. given us more time. I've got time. the 10 songs, 10 Beatles. If you've got a podcast, you can ask this question on your podcast. Do you okay. want me to name them now? Go on, then, quickly. Okay. Uh, Sexy Sadie, Lucy one. in the Sky with Diamonds. Two. Michelle. Yeah. Um, Martha, my dear, does that count? Yeah, of course. Who, uh, was, Paul, who was Martha? Paul Sheepdog. Well done. Uh, Pauline Pan. Yeah. Rita, Five, no, Rita. Rita and Julia. What was that one? Julia and what? Rita, the meter maid. Rita, yeah, you got there. Did you have Lucy in the Sky? Yep. yep. Did you have Eleanor Rigby? Yep. Anyway, that's 10. There's two others I allow as a joke. I allow Penny Lane. Penny. She could be a girl. Yeah. And I allow 
Her Majesty. Her uh-huh. Majesty is a very nice girl, but she hasn't got a lot to say. And Maggie a... May. No. Hard <laughs> luck. They didn't write that. By Beatles songs, I mean Beatles created songs. You lose points for that. Oh, oh. Oh, no. I, I, I have a home. I have a home on the Isle of Wight. And I live there for half the year. And I often give little talks. And I ask that question. And the prize is a handwritten copy, which they've never seen, of when I'm 64. When I get older. Yeah? yeah. I've got a handwritten copy of that. And I photocopy it and print it nicely because the last two lines... Everybody in the Isle of Wight knows about, but they've never seen it written down. And what are those two lines? Uh, get every the little cottage in the Isle of Wight. Well, every it's summer it's, in the uh, if cottage. It's and that thrills everybody in the Isle of Wight to actually see it in Paul's handwriting. And I give that as a present. Very nice. If they get nearly 10. Okay, boys, that was good fun. Yeah, and I, right. I want to thank I want to thank Mark Lewison for introducing me to you in the first place, yeah. and, I, and I want to thank you, Hunter, for all of the lovely uh, time today. It's been special, and I want to thank Ethan for uh, recording and and coming up with these great questions. Helping you, helping you as an old man who can't do modern technology. I'd like to thank Piers for introducing me to you, Hunter. And I would like to thank you sincerely for for taking the time to to chat with us. You had good questions. You didn't ask, who is your favorite Beatle? And that is a relief. (laughs) Okay. You know what my answer is? All four? I stole the answer from Neil. The roadie Neil. Yes. They were asked it on the hour. And I've stolen their answer, which is my favorite Beatle is the one I was last with. <laughs> Isn't that a good? It stops people on the track because they've got to. Anyway, thanks very much, boys. Yeah, God bless, done. Hunter. Thank okay. you. Thank you. All the best. Bye bye. Thanks, Piers. Thanks, Ethan or Ethan. Ethan. Okay, Thank bye. You. Do you like my tan? I do. We've had tropical heat in England for the last three months. 33 degrees. Ethan, you should get out more. I The light's <laughs> not doing me any favors. <laughs> okay, no, then. Thank Ta-ra. you. Ta-ra, well. Bye. Bye. Okay. You got a clapboard? Anyway, uh, all we can say is Hunter was there. That is all we ever need to say. He was there. And his book and his own story, as we've just heard, are really now essential parts of the Beatles story in the 60s. So, Ethan the podcaster, Ethan the fans on the run guru, Ifundi, Ifendi, uh, we had a lovely conversation with Hunter. And it, it took place on September 14th, 2023. Uh, I can say that Hunter was generous with his answers to all of the questions, and most of all, generous with his time. What struck me? Well, he was immensely proud of his OBE and the fact that he was awarded it in person by Her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II. So, the man who has written 100 books, maybe more, maybe more coming, 
uh, lovely memory of Brian Epstein playing an acetate of Strawberry Fields Forever to him, himself while he was writing his book. Uh, incredible story. So uh, thanks again to Ethan. We had fun. We had much uh, engagement with, with probably the greatest uh, Beatles biographer, official Beatles biographer of them all. So on that, uh, thank you, Ethan. And most of all, thank you, Hunter, for such a lovely and special interview. Yes, thank you, Hunter. And thank you, Piers. Piers, without you by my side, this interview wouldn't have happened. And I couldn't have had a better co-host and friend by my side. Uh, to those of you out there listening, if this is your first time listening, uh, you can find other episodes of Fans on the Run, which are a little bit different in nature, but I bring on people to talk about their love of the Beatles. And you can find us wherever podcasts can be heard. So your Spotify's, your Apple Podcasts, your Google Podcasts, your Podbean, Podbay, Stitcher, whatever. Uh, we're on Instagram, Fans on the Run Podcast, where I post all the little graphics I do for the episode. Um, including the one for this episode based on the 1968 North American hardcover copy of Hunter's book. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And you can find us on Threads at Fans on the Run. And you can find us at the artist formerly known as Twitter, X, whatever it's called, uh, at Fans on the Run Pod. Because... I couldn't put in the full word. But if you like what you've heard and you feel so inclined, uh, you can follow us or you can leave a review. If you have any suggestions for any future guests you'd like to hear, please reach out to me at fansontherunpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, it's, it's been a very, very good episode. I'm, I'm very proud of it. And again, thank you, Piers. Most of all, thank you, Hunter, for, for giving some time. And thank you out there for listening. Thank you for listening. You can go home. Fans on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Fuller. This has been a Showtown production.